Okay. Uh, many times through the years, uh, we've, we've preached and taught the difference between the two epistles of Timothy. First Timothy teaches the believer how they're to conduct themselves personally in their own lives with God and then, then how they would conduct themselves when they would enter into the local assembly. It's very foundational. That is First Timothy. So it's, again, First Timothy's teaching God's very precise order, how we function individually in Christ, and then how we function together as one in Christ when we come together in a local assembly in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, in verses four through six. How that affects. That's the, the epistle of First Timothy. The second epistle teaches us how we can still function as individual believers in Christ in proper character. And when we function in proper character, we function in proper behavior. Again, that's brought out in 1 John 1 and verse 7. Walk in the light as he is in the light. And, and then we'll have fellowship with each other and the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, his person and what he's accomplished. We will experience a continual cleansing. And obviously when we experience a continual cleansing, we experience a continual healing. And that is a beautiful portion of Scripture. Again, in 1 John 1, 7, it's not teaching conduct or behavior. It's teaching proper character. And if I have proper character, then I'll have proper conduct. And, and of course, again, 1 Timothy is teaching how to function properly as an individual and then as a part not separate, but as a part of a local assembly, how we function in God's order. Second Timothy teaches that we as believers, individuals in Christ, how we are to function in proper character, thereby proper conduct, And then, into, then together as a part of a local assembly. And how to do that in the midst of disorder. So 1 Timothy, the first epistle of Timothy, is teaching how to function individually and corporately in a local assembly in God's precise order. 2 Timothy is how to do it in the midst of disorder. In the midst of disorder. So in that we have, now we'll see in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15, it says this, study to show yourself approved. Study to show yourself having passed the test. See, because God will test, and how does he test us? He tests, he tests my conduct. Is it equal to my true character in Christ? Is it? If I'm walking in love, as dear children, in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, will there be any foolishness, jesting, any of those things? And we all have to learn those things, all of us. 
and to be very careful uh, with those things. Study, it says in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15, to show yourself proved unto God a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so when we see those things, we can, we can have a great understanding. And now we go to how does that happen? How do I, as an individual, how am I to study to show myself approved unto God? A workman that doesn't need to be functioning in shame. We either function in shame in, in, in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 12, we either function in shame or in a right form of how we're formed in 1.13 of 2 Timothy, of how we're formed in Christ in a proper image. That proper image has to do with the character that Christ has made us to be in our own individuality. When I function in proper character, then I become a joint in Ephesians 4 and verse 16 that now has a supply. I supply because my life is not my own. Oh boy, I wish we could understand that. Our lives are not our own in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. We were bought with a price. We were bought with a price. And we're to glorify God in our spirit and our bodies, which are God's, it says. And we're not our own. See, as Christians, God has not left that up to us to make our own choices, and we will when our will is not submitted to God or when I don't come and get precise teaching, when I don't have a proper local assembly with proper uh, preaching and teaching. Then I, don't, I can function ignorantly in something that is not my character. That's going to affect my conduct. That affects my testimony, or my witness to all those that are around. All those that are around. Now, in 2 Timothy 2, and here we have this, in 2 Timothy 2, we can see this. It's, it's, it's understanding to see this. Now, when we look at these scriptures, and I'm going to read these this morning, From 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, again, it says study to show yourself approved unto God. Where do you get the study where you approve yourself unto God? The only place we get that properly, not that we don't study on our own, but that we come to a local assembly. That's God's order. God's order has not changed. He's not, he's not changed at all, his order. And so that's where we get that. We don't study on our own, because to do to, apart from a local assembly, because to do so is to be led by our own will. Verse sixteen says, "But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness." What is that? That's just the flesh. That's 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 just being around unsafe people. Or that's just being around carnal Christians. Carnal Christians. What's a carnal Christians? He can no longer be, ever be natural again, but he can certainly be carnal and live just like the natural, unsafe world. 
So, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And guess what that what that will do? And there will their word, which is not the word Christ, will eat as does a canker. It's like a cancer. It eats. And that brings back to mind. When we don't function with our, of course, with our will submitted, then who do we function under? Satan, and what does he do in John 10, 10a? He comes to seek, to kill and destroy. He's like a cancer. He wants to eat up a proper experience. He wants to eat up proper desire. And that's what these lusts and these attachments of the world do. They eat up, like cancer, godly desire. And then we have to go after other things because we're not filled It's like a cancer. It says this, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus. For all those that don't like to be named on certain things, there's the scripture. Verse 18 says this, who concerning the truth, the truth is ho, aletheia, the truth, have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and listen to this, and overthrow The faith is all that teaching of the person and the work that Christ has accomplished. Overthrow the faith of some, not all. Not all can be moved by error because their wills are continually submitted. They continually come. They continually learn. They continually receive. They continually function as one part of a local assembly, continuously. And they don't get overthrown. Now verse 19 says this, Nevertheless, in spite of all that, the foundation of God stands sure, immovable, unchangeable. You want to know about foundations and what we should build our lives on? By the way, again, Christ is our life in Colossians 3 and verse 4. And if we're not receiving that through the word, who is the life, Christ himself, then are we experiencing life? And what is the opposite of life? It's called death, separation from God. So if you want to talk about foundations and what we should build them on, we look at Matthew, the seventh chapter, and look at verse 24 to 27. Men build them. When we don't build our lives on foundational truths in Christianity, when we don't, when we don't, we build our lives on the sand. And what is the sand in that type? It's our emotions. See, the sand isn't stable. It's constantly moving. And you can't build a foundation on sand. You can't build anything on sand. You can't because it's changing. That's the emotions. And remember, when we talk about the emotions this morning, they can't think. They only respond to what the initiations of the mind in the thought life give to them. The thoughts initiate to the emotions. Then the emotions respond to the content of the thought that they receive. Again, that's why it says in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7, we walk by faith. Absolute dependence with the will submitted to God and not by sight. In sight there is feeling or emotions. We walk. We walk by faith. 
That's a beautiful verse. We walk by faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith. How is our walk? What is the indication of our walk? How do we know that we're walking precisely and walking rightly? Because in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, we're walking in love. We're walking in the fact that God loves us. It's not something that we just declare positionally, but we actually experience it. And we don't have to, in Romans 12, verse 9, be a pretender. Let love be without dissimulation, without pretending, without being a hypocrite experientially. Oh, how the enemy loves to accuse the believer of being a hypocrite because he's invaded the experience with something other than Christ. Then he can accuse them of being a hypocrite. You know who he accuses. In Revelations 12 and verse 9, he has the whole world deceived. And when the Christian doesn't have proper teaching, it doesn't submit to what they know to be true, and remember in James 4, 17, to him that knows to do good and does it not. Oh boy, to him it is sin. How many areas do we know to do good and yet we don't do it? The Bible calls it sin. I know I should do this particular thing. I know I should do this thing. People will tell you, I want to do this thing. God's put it on my heart. He's told me that I'm supposed to do this and to be consistent in it. He told me that. And yet not to do it, what is it? The Bible calls it sin for all of us. For all of us. So he wants to accuse us. Now, who does he accuse? Does he accuse the world system that he has deceived? No. He doesn't. He doesn't accuse them. They're in a deceived state of absolute bondage with a will that's been captured by him. He doesn't have to be busy with them. His busyness is with the believer. To come after them experientially so that he can accuse them. Because I am telling you, who does he accuse? He accuses in Revelations 12 and verse 10, the brethren. And he can accuse them if they live in a deceived state like the world. Then he will accuse them. And you know what else he'll do? When they live in disobedience and don't want to get right, he'll use them to accuse others. And usually it's another believer. That's what he'll do. You know, he convinces Christians he does. He, can, he convinces Christians that they have enough of the Word of God that they have, that they don't have to live or be a part of a local assembly. He convinces them. They know enough. They know enough. And yet God's order, foundational truths, which is the church on earth, there's many of the church that are in heaven, but the church on earth is a local assembly. I just don't, you know, I don't understand it. I don't. Who does he accuse? Remember what Jesus said in Hebrews 2, verse 11? Both he that sanctifies has placed in himself, made holy, and placed in himself positionally. But are we holy in our experiential walk? Both he that sanctifies and them that are sanctified. And the word sanctified, hagios and hagio in those certain Greek words, means to be set apart from something, the old, and set into the new. <laughs> 
both he that sanctifies and then that are sanctified, it says, are all of what? One. Did you know the principle of oneness was the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ in John 17, 11, 21, and 22, that they may be one as we are one? And how that works into a local assembly in Ephesians chapter 4 in verses 4 through 6, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God who's above all. That means I function in the principle of the oneness of the very heart of Christ himself as part of a local assembly. So both he that sanctifies in Hebrews 2.11 and them that are sanctified are all of constituted one. Who's that one? That's Christ. Wherefore, because of that, in 2.12, he's not ashamed. Notice that? He's not ashamed to call us what, brethren? So who does the enemy go after to accuse? Those that have Christ in them and those that are in Christ. That's who he goes after. I think it's very interesting when it says that. In Galatians 5 and verse 6, and, and in Galatians 5 and verse 6, it says, Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but a faith that works by love. You know what the original says? It really says this. It's really not so much what I do and what I don't do, but it's that a faithful dependence upon love that is able to express itself. Did we hear that this morning? God is able to express to us in the most intimate way in our experience that he loves us when we're dependent. And when we're dependent, that's when we're free. And when we're free, that's when we experience the peace that Christ is in each of us in Ephesians 2 and verse 14, based upon the cross in Colossians 1 and verse 20. And we have it. Oh boy, we have peace with God positionally, What's characteristic of our very character is we have peace with God. It's unchangeable. But do I experience it? Do I experience it? Nevertheless, in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 19, the foundation of God stands sure, immovable. It has this seal. You know, when the when the emperors or any of those in authority in the Roman government and all, when they put their seal on something, they couldn't change it. They couldn't change it. That happened in, in the death of John the Baptist. We know that in the scriptures. He said if that, if he said if that woman would dance for him, that he would give her anything she desired and he stamped his approval on it. And he didn't want John the Baptist, really in one sense, to be beheaded. But because he sealed it, he had to do it. The foundation of the Lord is, is immovable and it has this seal. We have that seal. We have the proof of God's ownership. We have the proof of his authority, his unchangeable love and deep affection and desire for us because he has sealed us in 2 Corinthians 1 in verse 22 and in 2 Corinthians 5 in verse 5 
and in Ephesians 1 and verse 13, he has sealed us with the Holy Spirit. That is the proof that we're not our own, that he owns us. Aren't you glad that he owns us? Aren't you glad that we're not our own, God forbid, anymore? It has this seal. And that seal is this. The Lord knows them that are his. <laughs> and let everyone that names the name of Christ, and when it says the name of Christ, has to do with his person and the work that he has accomplished, first in propitiation to the Father, and then that propitiation in that sense now enters into the substitute, and whoever receives him has now been reconciled. We see that crystal clear. But let everyone that names the name of Christ depart from what? Iniquity. And what is iniquity? An unsubmitted will. An unsubmitted will. And we see that in Ezekiel 28 and verse 15 where that started in Lucifer. And again, God never created evil. God didn't create Satan, the opponent, the adversary. He created Lucifer. And then with his own will, he chose his own will and his own self. Now, in verse 20, and here it is. But in a great house, <laughs> in a great house, in the worldwide, on the earth still, local assembly. This has nothing to do with the church that's in heaven because they have not only, like us, been delivered from the power of sin, and I want him, God wants that to be clear to us this morning. Um, we have been, through Christ, delivered from the power of sin. We don't have to sin. Sin is a choice of the will being unsubmitted. Just like love is in the will. It's not an emotion. It's in the will. But in a great house, in in the church on the earth, everywhere, or even in local assemblies. Listen to this. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver. <laughs> gold, that has to do all, all, always with the deity of Christ and what he's accomplished in terms of his humanity for us. And silver always speaks of redemption. We've been bought back. That's why the streets that are in heaven now are of gold. They're not silver. There's no need of redemption there. <laughs> We've already been redeemed. But also of wood and of earth. <laughs> and that's flesh. Flesh in the Christian or unsaved people that have gone to church to do their duty for years and never even entered into a saved state. Sad to hear. Some will say in Matthew 7, 22, Lord, Lord, have not we done many things in your name? And he says, depart from me, you workers of what? Iniquity, unsubmitted will in terms of salvation. I never knew you, but the Lord knows them that are his. He said, he said, you did works, you did it in my name only, but you never had my nature to accomplish them and work them in and through you. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but of wood and earth, some to honor Remember in 1 Samuel 2.30, God says, if you honor me, I'll honor you. But if you lightly esteem me, despise me, I will lightly esteem you. And some to dishonor. Some to dishonor. 
If a man, if any man, listen, if any man or woman, therefore purge himself from these, and I want us to, to see that this morning, and I want to see it with you as I'm learning with you. If any man or woman, any man, any human, any of those that are Christ, purge himself from these, he will be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, set apart from the flesh, and all those lusts and desires and those attachments that cause all kinds of addictions that multitudes of Christians, because of a lack of obedience and a will submitted, now have become addicted to these things. Because that attachment, the enemy used that attachment to attach it to them. That's why it takes so long for, for so many different areas of this dishonor and these, these lust things to be taken out of a Christian. And out of there has to be dealt with in the thought life too, first. But if a man will purge himself from these, he'll be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet, which means qualified for who? The master's use. You know, we can't serve two masters. The Christian that thinks that they're functioning on their own, apart from the submission to the will and obedience to the word of God, the Bible, Christ makes it clear. He said it in Matthew 6 and verse 22. He said, if your eye be single, Christ only in the word, your, eye, your, your whole body will be filled with light. Right? Again, that's proper character. 1 John 1, 7. But if your eye be evil, your whole body will be filled with darkness. Then he said in Matthew 6, verse 23, if the light that be in you be darkness. <laughs> what does that mean? means that Satan is as an angel of light, but is he really? In 2 Corinthians 11, verse 14, and don't you think he wants to use Christians as his ministers? In 2 Corinthians 11, verse 15? But if the light in Matthew 6, verse 23, that is in you be darkness, how great is that darkness? You can't serve God and mammon. Mammon, money, <laughs> Mm-hmm. What do I choose to do with it? And God has given us specific direction about it. Do we just blow it off? Do we just bypass it? Do we conveniently forget it? You know, that because the money is not the issue. The, issue, the money it is it's just revealing the heart. That's all for any of us. That's what it's revealing. You can't serve, and the word serve is worship, by the way. <laughs> you can't worship self by using money and God. You can't do it. I can't do it. I cannot. You can't. I'm going to be mastered by one. He said it in Matthew 6, verse 24. You can't have two masters. You're either mastered by Satan, do the Christian functioning in the flesh, or... Functioning in Christ with a submitted will. Let me just say this right now. How many Christians don't have a local assembly? Don't have proper teaching, thinking they can do it themselves when they're not even equipped to do so. But for the master's use, in 2 Timothy 2, 
in verse 21. The master's use. You see, one master uses and blesses, the other abuses. God wants to use us through his son by the power of the Holy Spirit to glorify himself and to bless us. The enemy wants these attachments to us through money, and that's a form of getting them, that they become attached to us so he can abuse us. So he can abuse us. Continuum in obedience. Men, women, all of us, let's continue in obedience. Continue and not, and any of us, not use excuses why we don't have to or why we think we shouldn't. Verse 22, flee also youthful lusts. <laughs> Don't entertain them for a second. Don't enter- I can read on my own. I can study on my own. And you should. But where do we get the source to study to show yourself approved unto God as we read in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15? We're going to get there. Flee youthful lusts. Don't trifle with them. Don't play around with them for a little while. Okay? You and I are no match for the devil. I'm going to make that clear. We are no, I don't care how much we know in the Word of God. Doesn't matter. If our will's not submitted in instant obedience, if it's not, we're going to play around with youthful lusts. We're going to play with them like a little toy. But really, who's playing with us? Flee youthful lust, but separated from that, follow righteousness. Get around godly men. Jeremiah 5, 5. Proverbs 13, verse 20. And don't fellowship and companion with fools. And that can be a Christian functioning in an unsubmitted will. That can be, and it can be any of us. In 1 Corinthians 15, 33, evil companions corrupt good manners. Flee useful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, dependence, love. Will you see charity? Cross it out. It's agape. It's self-sacrificial love that God is. Love. And when you do, you experience peace. And them that call on on the Lord, now you have a what? A pure heart. Nothing's mixed with it in Isaiah 22. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 22. There's silver. Redemption has become dross. Something's covering over it. We don't see the beauty of it anymore. Their wine is mixed with water. Out of a pure heart. Titus 1, verse 15, to the pure, all things are pure, but to the unbelieving, and and how do we act as an unbeliever, an unsubmitted will? (laughs) Even their conscience is defiled. That was purified by Christ positionally in Hebrews 10, 1 and 2, but can be experientially defiled. But... Verse 23 of 2 Timothy 2. Foolish, and who's a fool? One whose confidence is in himself. He's more interested in in he or she in their own opinions, in their own 
submitted will, and they glory in their rebellion and stubbornness like it's a badge to be worn in 1 Samuel 15, 23. Rebellion is witchcraft. Stubbornness is idolatry. But foolish, and that's in Proverbs 18, 1 and 2. You'll see what a fool is. He's more interested in expressing himself rather than Christ. But foolish and unlearned. I can't tell you how many young people that I know. I know them. Began to teach things, to teach them, declare them, to teach them when they didn't even know them themselves. All they could do was declare them. I can't tell you them. And I'm going to tell you, that's why in 1 Timothy 3, 6, not a novice, you don't lift them up. Young, people that are young. You don't lift them up because they can fall into the condemnation of the devil. They'll be puffed up with pride like a smokescreen. And that's why in 1 Timothy 5, verse 22, you don't lay hands on any man suddenly, especially young. You don't do that. They, they like all of us, but especially young, should continually come to hear. And then there are older adults that miss a ton of teaching that can still act very youthful youthful because they miss it because they miss it and don't have it to function in foolish and unlearned questions what void them knowing they gender what strifes we're going to get into that word strifes okay strifes what are strifes Right? It's, like the, it's like the workmen. We're going to see this too. I'll, I'll finish this too. This is 2 Timothy 2 and verse 24. And the servant of the Lord must not what? Strive. Strive. But be gentle unto all, apt to teach, patient. Is a young person who's been around for maybe a handful of years, are they apt to teach? Do they have the skill? and learning that takes years and years. Because that's what it says, highly skillful. Highly skillful. Apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. When I don't submit my will to God, in that way does the enemy use my own will that he masters to oppose me. Yes. To oppose themselves. In meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure, hopefully, will give them. And who does, who does God give grace to? Those that have been humbled. <laughs> humbled. Will give them repentance to the acknowledging now of the truth. Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. It's quite a scripture. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust there is one of the Hebrew words, batak, B-A-T-A-C-H, batak. And that means to break. When I trust God, and I learn in humility to continue to trust God, when certain lust patterns had welded themselves to me and I couldn't get victory, I continually come in humility and entreatability to hear the word of God then when I trust 
and I've been given the substance by which I can trust God through learning what that trust is, then Christ comes in through the power of the Holy Spirit and he breaks the will and the thing that was attached to it. And guess what he replaces it with? Himself. That's what trust in the Lord with all your heart. Heart there in Proverbs 3, 5 is lab, L-E-B. It's a long E, it's mind. What has filled my mind? Whose thoughts are they? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Result, lean not to your own understanding. Oh, God. Wasn't that the thing that abused us? The enemy used what we thought was our own understanding, but was really his lie that kept us in bondage and welded these attachments to cause addictions, and that addiction would burn up godly desire. We'd lose our taste for Christ in Psalm 34 and verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. But we have to be brought back to Psalm 34 and verse 2. The humble will hear thereof. And when they do and receive it, be glad. To the acknowledging of the truth. Proverbs 3, 5, we'll finish it with this. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your mind. Result, lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Don't forget him. Don't blow him off. Don't be occupied with other things, Luke 19, 13. Be occupied till I come. But acknowledge him. Result, and he will direct your path. You don't have to listen to someone else's counsel. Someone else that doesn't even have a local assembly. I don't know, how many families do you go to? How many families do you have? You have one in a local assembly, by the way. That's your true family. I'm going to make that clear. Is that clear? See? Acknowledge him, and he'll direct your path. Result. You will no longer be wise and think you have wisdom in your own eyes or your own perception and understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes, but reverence and awe the Lord. And in that way is the only way you'll depart from evil. Then it will be marrow to your bones. It will build you up and make you strong. See? Strong. You're going to exercise like you do with weights, physical labor. You're going to increase spiritual muscle by hearing the truth, by coming and hearing the truth and receiving it. Verse 26. And that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. You see, when my will's not submitted through proper teaching, guess what? Who's captured my will? And to think that I can think my own thoughts. Are they? Are they? Would they be? Adam, ha Adam had a will. He had that will and untried innocence. 
But then in disobedience, Eve again was deceived. And I want to speak especially to women and even godly ones, and I mean this too. You can be easily deceived, by the way. And deception, may, it means I think I know something, but I truly don't. Eve was deceived. Women need a local assembly and proper teaching. Of course, men do too. But Adam transgressed. He gave his will up. And in doing so, he gave it over to who? The enemy. To his thoughts. To his evil desires. That they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. Now here's this word, strive. That word strive in the Greek is logo. It's <laughs> where we get word, machia, machio. Lago Machio. You see that in 2 Timothy 2, 15, and in 2 Timothy 2, verse 4. It's from the word logos, which means word. That means word. And from makomaahi, and that word means this. This is what it means. To be disputious, to be dispute, dispute to be argumentative. To have truth and then resist it and answer back. Remember growing up, you weren't to and your parents told you to do something because they were given to you where God's authority was flowing through them if they operated properly towards you. They told you to do something and you answered them back. <laughs> to be disputious, to strive about words, thoughts communicated through words, to wrangle. Uh, to wrangle, to wrestle. Right? That's where we get this. Thought life. See, the enemy wants to wrestle with us. He can when our will's not submitted. You know what the word wrestle is? Sec is Ephesians 6, 12. We wrestle not against blood and flesh. That's the proper way. But against principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this age, spiritual wickedness in the heights. Now, in wrestling, in certain wrestlings, it's close contact. It's not like boxing or any kind of martial arts. It's not that. It's wrestling. You're rubbing. You're, it's close contact. And when God had Paul, the whole, God the Holy Spirit had Paul write Ephesians 6, verse 12, he had the Greek games in mind. The Olympics, the Greek games. And those wrestlers trained and labored and trained and prepared themselves for this wrestling match. That's a Christian that gets the word. <laughs> Sooner or later, he's coming after us. Hopefully, we have spiritual muscle through the word because he's going to desire close contact with us. He's going to get it, too. We're in conflict we're born into this conflict, this angelic conflict. The word wrestle there is pele. In the Greek games, when those two combatants got into that ring and wrestled, the loser had his eyes gouged out. How'd you like to do that one? You know what that's a picture of? A Christian with an unsubmitted will. No continuous teaching in a local assembly gets their will, gets involved with a wrestling match, 
in their thought life with the enemy, and then he blinds them. They don't have proper sight. They lose sight of who they are in Christ. He blinds them. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3 says, If our gospel be hid, and I can't tell you how many measures it is in Christians, even those that have been taught for years, and somehow they know enough not to continue to be taught, which is why we're on this earth as a part of a local assembly. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds, to blinded the minds. And when he blinds us in areas, the word there is he hardens us. I continue to function year after year after year in disobedience. I get hard. It's like a hands in the trade. Using and using the hands, and sooner or later you develop calluses and there's no feeling. That's what it's talking about. That's this word strive. To wrangle. To wrangle about empty vain words. To try to enter into trifling with matters, you know, and get into these little things because I I don't want the word. I'd rather argue than to be taught. And then it says, to the subverting. Christians get subverted, and we're going to close with this word. Christians get subverted. To the subverting of the hearers, it says. And to be subverted, this is where we get our English word, a catastrophe. You know what a catastrophe is? A catastrophe. It's an overturn. And the enemy comes against the Christian to turn their will over from God to himself, to Satan. To turn their will over. And that word, subvert, is the word sub. And you know what submarines are? (laughs) In battle, what do they do? They're hidden. They're underneath. God's always going underneath, isn't he? He's going underneath. The things that we don't want to show others. The thoughts and attitudes. It's an inward striving. We haven't declared them yet. They're there. They're like submarines waiting to fire off the missile. (laughs) Sub. Hidden. Subtle. Genesis 3.1, 2 Corinthians 11.3, the enemy's subtle. Deceit, Revelation 12.9. To deceive or accuse in thought. Sub means underneath. Underneath are the wiles and lies of the enemy in Ephesians 6.11. And he uses them to demolish, to overturn, to cause a catastrophe in the will of the unsubmitted Christian. The unsubmitted Christian. So that they enter into apostasy. Apostasy talks about We talk about apostasy. We won't get into it in 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 3. But it's to, to overthrow, to overthrow, and it's a turning down. Our view is down now. It's no longer up and free, but down in self to overthrow. It's the overturning of faith dependence. It's overturning all those teachings that we have in Christianity, all those that are ours, 
all that have to do with our true and proper image. Our true and proper image. It's a turning down into self. In the Christian, a turning down into the flesh where the enemy can condemn and cause us to be guilty in our experience versus the intimate, beautiful desire of God's love for us. Oh, how we need to be taught, all of us. And oh, we need to continue to submit ourselves. And by the way, in a local assembly, that's where he teaches us submission. See, I will submit to one another in Ephesians 5, verse 21, to those that are in the local assembly. And when I do, it's just indicative of they have a will submitted to Christ first. And we're so thankful. Father, thank you so much for these teachings, the teachings that we have in this. And this is like a classroom form. It's not going to be a short little devotional. We're going to have to learn to be disciplined, to learn to be disciplined and be in a disciplined state to receive the word and to give over our attention. And that has to do with preparation even before we get to the classroom. So, Father, thank you so much for these truths. In Jesus' name, Father, and bless us with these. Thank you for your so great love. In Jesus' name, amen.